All right, so I hope everybody's got a study sheet. We're going to do lesson four today. We're going to talk about the reality of salvation, and we're going to focus on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So we're going to, I'm going to read this passage to you as we go through this, through each section. And so we're going to start off with uh, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. So let me go ahead and just launch right into our lesson today because we've got a lot to go through and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of discussion. Here's what the New King James says. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. All right, so that's the first three verses. So what we're going to talk about, first of all, is our past condition. Now, before we look specifically at what the truth is, I do need to make a point, a textual point to you. And that's with regards to verse 1. So when you read verse 1, it starts out, and you, what's the next part say? What's the next part? And you made alive. Okay, now that's the part I want to focus on first to help you to understand. Now, when you look at that in your Bibles... Is there something different about how it's written compared to the rest of the text? It's an italic. So that's what we're going to focus on right now, okay? So the phrase, he made alive, in verse 1, is not in the Greek manuscripts. <gasps> what do you mean? <gasps> well, I'm going to explain it to you. It's not in the Greek manuscripts, all right? The phrase was added into the text by the translators to further explain you. So that phrase, he made alive, was added in to further explain you. Now, we're go I'm going to show you why they did it here in a moment, okay? And when they did this, we're talking about during the time of King James, okay? During the time of King James, so oh, don't, don't, don't lose your hair, don't freak out, don't throw your Bible in the garbage, okay? I'm going to explain to you why they did it here in a moment, okay? Now, this is why the phrase is shown in your Bibles in italics, okay? Now, let me explain something about all of our versions of the Bible today, from the King James, New King James, NIV, the English Standard Version, all of the different versions, CEV, there's a lot of good versions out there. You will notice that your text, you have your text, but then there will be sometimes notes in your text, like down, this manuscript showed this and this one didn't, okay? And then sometimes things are in italics. The things that are in italics are things that were put in the text by the translators. Why? To help you to understand what the verse is saying, okay? Now, why did they choose that, okay? Why did they choose that? Well, we're going to see here in a moment. So, 
Why they chose that is because in Colossians, we're going to see it here in a moment when we go through this, chapter 2, verse 13, Paul's saying basically the same thing, except he did write what we don't have in this text. So the translators thought, well, we need to include it here to help further explain. Okay? So that's why it's there. Now, anybody got a question? Because I see lots of confused looks. I see frowns. I see smiles. I see perplexion. I see people ready to walk out of the room. Okay? Yes, Mike. Uh, the translators. I don't know who they are now. They're all dead. I could go back and look at they were a group of translators. 1611. Okay, yes. Yes, net Bible. Yes. They don't include it. Yes. Yes. Yes, the New American Standard does not include that phrase as well because it's a precise, almost word-for-word -word translation of the Greek text. Now, the rest of us, we either use a New King James, that's what we use here at our church, or you're using an NIV or something, they include that phrase in. Now, does that mean I can throw this out? No, you don't have to throw it out. I'll explain to you in a moment why, okay? But it's better for me to tell you that so you can be aware. Okay, so let me, let me just stop for a moment. There are different types of translations, okay? There are the precise translations, which are word for word. Then you have translations which are paraphrases. So I know some people like to use the message. It used to be years ago, it was called Phillips was a good, and that was a paraphrase. It was basically, with the message, it's Eugene Peterson writing down what he, in, he would say the verse says in his own words. And that's very popular today. It's a paraphrase. Then there's the dynamic equivalent, which is kind of in between a precise translation and a paraphrase, and that's what an NIV is. Okay? And a lot of times, it's a thought for thought. And so all the versions are like that are good. They're okay. All right? When we look at our new King James... Or the old, even in the old King James, it's there because that's where it first showed up. Okay, it's something that was shown to help you to understand. Well, let me let me let me show you what Colossians says, and you'll understand why the translators did that. Here's what Colossians chapter two, verse thirteen says. Now look at what he writes in Colossians two thirteen, and now do you understand why? The translators put that in Ephesians. And you being dead in your trespasses and, and your uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made what? Alive. So he's conveying the same thought. Do you understand? And so for some reason, the translators felt they had to include that in to help further explain what he's going to talk about through Ephesians. Now, why am I sharing? Because here's what I, I, I could have done two things here. I could have just gone on and not even, not even pointed it out to you, and we could have just gone on. But I felt like I needed to instruct you. 
help you to understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that you, so don't take a, take a, a knife and cut out that phrase from your Bible, okay? It's okay, all right? Anybody got a question? A comment, a brick you want to throw, okay? Yes, Lori. Well, first Lori and then Mike. Okay. We lose things in translation, yes. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the reason why the reason why they put it in there is to help make the point that he's going to make. Okay. What were you going to say, Mike? Yes. Okay, I, I honestly think as far as you guys, your cautiousness as far as what, what Bible do I pick, I don't think you have to worry about any of that with any of the Bibles that we have. The only one that I would say is a New World Translation. Don't get that. Does anybody know who, who, who sells the New World Translation? The Jehovah Witnesses, Okay. That's the Jehovah Witness text, and the reason why they produced their text is they had to make sure they had a Bible that didn't prove that Jesus was God, because they don't believe that Jesus is God, that he's deity, okay? So what I would say to you, it's, it's okay. The translations are okay. Even, I'll, I'll, I'll go so far as to say this, you can use a New Jerusalem Bible. Now, I would ignore the Apocrypha that's in it, Okay? But the New Jerusalem Bible, that's the Catholic Bible, right? Okay. It is translated from the Latin, which was translated from the Greek. The, the, the text is the same. It's not that, there's not that much of a variant there. Now, I don't have a New Jerusalem Bible on my shelf. I have an electronic version. I don't refer to it. But do, do you understand? You don't need to make a big deal out of that. I just don't refer to the Apocrypha. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, like, like in, uh, since you brought the Catholic Bible, isn't there two books or something like that in theirs that's not in ours? Yeah, the Apocrypha. That would be Maccabees, first, second Maccabees. Uh, there are Bell and the Dragon. There's several books in there that are intertestamental period writings. That's between the New and Old Testament that uh, we, we wouldn't agree with. They're not scripture, but they're period writings that the Catholic Church has included those in the Bible, okay? I have an Apocrypha in my office. I've read the Apocrypha. There's nothing biblical there, okay? So, but for some reason they include that, but if you look at the books that they use, that we use from the Old and New Testament, there isn't that much difference, okay? The, what, what really irks people is that we call it it's the Catholic Bible. I'm not using the Catholic Bible. Fine, that's fine. But if I'm talking with a Catholic and I want to show them something in the Scripture, 
what Bible, I would say, open up your Bible, and what would it be? It's going to be a Catholic Bible, and it's going to say the same thing, maybe in a little bit different way, but it's going to say the same thing, okay? So this is a good discussion. So here's what I'm saying. You don't need to freak out about what version is out there. They're all good. So here's what I'm saying to you. You can be secure with the Bibles that you have, okay? You can be secure with the Bibles that you have. Now, we spent a lot of time here. I didn't think it was going to take this long. We got to get into the text. Unless somebody's got a pressing question. Okay, well, here it is. Let's look at it. So, here's what Paul writes. Paul writes that his readers were spiritually dead. So, before you came to Jesus, you were a dead man walking. Excuse me, or dead woman walking. You were spiritually dead. Do you understand people right now in our community who don't know Jesus are zombies? What do you mean, George? They're not, uh, they're not walking around like this. What are you talking about? No, they're spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead. Now, let me explain something to you. So you hear a lot of day today about pray for revival in America. Pray for revival in America. I think you need to pray for revival in the church. You can't revive that which has never been alive. Revival is bringing back to life that which was once alive, meaning the church. The rest of the world is spiritually dead. They've never experienced life. They were born spiritually dead. Do you understand? Everyone was born spiritually dead. They need to come first to what? Faith. But in order for that to happen, who's got to come back to life? The church. Do you understand? That's what we need to be praying for revival for. So he writes that his readers were spiritually dead. And again, Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. All right, you were spiritually dead. Now, we were spiritually dead because of our transgressions and sins. This is why you were spiritually dead. You're a sinner. So, when did I start sinning? I don't know exactly when, but if I asked your mom and dad, they might know. Because have you noticed with babies, when they become toddlers, did any of you train them to do wrong? Did any of you train them when they're in a group with another kids to take toys away from other kids and say, mine? Or to swat somebody? Did any of you train them, this is what you do, swat them? Did any of you train them to lie? Do you know what I'm saying? No, this, where did it come from? The internalness of who they are as a person, which is what? A sinner. Spiritually dead. Okay, so we were dead because of our transgressions and sins. Transgressions and sins were deliberate acts against God as we fail to live as we should. That's what transgressions and sins are. Deliberate acts against God because we're failing to live as we should. We weren't created to sin, were we? No, not at all. Now, Romans 3.23, 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's the reality of all of us, okay? Of all of us here. Now, let's talk about why did we sin? Now, Paul's going to explain to you why you sinned. And he's going to talk about that you and I, and we continue to be, we're influenced to sin. You and I were influenced to sin. By what, George? Well, he tells you. He points out that we sinned because we gave into three influences. You have three major things influencing your life even to this day. And you sin because of those influences. Have you ever wondered, even though you're saved, why do I keep sinning? You ever asked yourself that? Why do I keep doing the wrong thing? Why do I keep wanting to do the wrong thing? Okay? Here's what they are. Here's the first one. We were influenced by the world, culture, or system. Do you understand? We were influenced by the world, culture, or system. So let me explain something to you so that everybody understands. I don't care what you think, how great things were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It was still corrupt. Do you understand? It was still corrupt. There were things that were accepted 20, 30 years ago that should have never be accepted because what? They were sinful. Now, seems like we're all worse now. Yeah, I understand that. But the fact is, it's always been corrupt. No system, no cultural system in our country is okay. There are just as many sinners as they were 50 years ago. Do you understand? Okay, so we were influenced by the world system. So think about it. And our world loves to influence you, right? How do, I, how do you know that, George? All right, let's, let's go for on a road trip. Everybody hop in your cars. We're going to have a lesson over at Walmart. Wouldn't that be funny if we all walked in there, here and I'm doing the instructing thing. Take a look at the aisle that you check out at. What do they have in the aisle? Lettuce, carrots, do they have celery sticks? Do they have any of that there? No, what do they have? When you're checking out at the aisle, what do they have there? What's candy and soda, okay? And not just that. On one side, it's not just candy and soda, it's little junk trinket stuff that you really don't need and you could do without, but hey, look at that, I could use that. And you buy it. What are they trying to do? They're trying to influence you. Yeah, I'm hungry for a Snickers bar. It wasn't five minutes ago, but now, yeah. And king size, wow, better deal with a king size than with the regular size, you know. You're being influenced by the world system or culture. Here's the other one. Now, this one, most people understand, but they, they don't understand it. We were influenced by the prince of the power of the air, who we know as who? Satan. Now, let me explain something to you. Some people get this wrong. Satan doesn't make you do anything. The devil made me do it is a lie. He doesn't have to make you do anything. 
He does know how to what? Influence you and tempt you. It's interesting. If you go to book chapter in, in, in Acts, the sons of Sceva, who were the exorcists, they want to exorcise somebody in the name of Paul and in the name of Jesus. The demon in the, in the guy says, I know Jesus and I've observed Paul. Who are you? And beats these guys naked. Do you, do you understand? Now the word know there, okay, remember we talked about this earlier about languages are not necessarily precise when we translate. The word know is they know intimately Jesus and when they say they know Paul, it's they know by observation. Satan knows how to observe you. He knows what your patterns are by observing you. Hey, by the way, I think we can understand that. You guys have a smartphone? Some of you have smartphones? Okay, have you noticed how much your smartphone knows about you? So my smartphone, because I carry it with me everywhere, knows what my patterns are. So like I'll go here, meet there, and then I go here. And then like I'll be up at Walmart. I'll stop by Walmart. Usually it's the same day of the week. And when I get in my car to head home, my smartphone will say, 13 minutes to the office. How did it know that I was going there? Maybe I was going to stop off at J&G or something. Do you know what I'm saying? How did it know that I was going to leave Walmart, come back to Kerwinsville and come to the church? How did it know that? It observes you. That's what the whole algorithm thing is with social media and with the internet, right? They observe your behavior. By the way, the guy who's been observing your behavior from the very beginning is who? Satan. So do you think he knows what tempts you? Does he, do you think he knows what you do wrong in? Do you think he knows the stuff that is going to affect you negatively? Yeah. Guess what? So what does he do? He uses that to what? Influence you, okay? Here's the other one. So here's what 1 John 5, 19 says. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Okay? The rest of the world lies under the sway of Satan. Okay, let's go on. So we were influenced. Here's the third one. Are you ready for this? Do you want to know who the third influence is? The first one, yeah, the world. Second one, Satan. Here's the third one. You. You. You're your own worst enemy. Here's what Paul says. We were influenced by our lusts to fulfill the desires of our flesh and mind. You're your own worst enemy, and you were dead in trespasses and sins because you gave in to the influence of yourself, doing what you want. Doing what you want. And so here's the result. points out that we were by nature children of wrath like other unbelievers. Because of our trespasses and sin, we were dead, spiritually dead, because we were influenced by these, by these three influences. We're just like anybody else. We're children of wrath. Now, that phrase, children of wrath, is also translated objects of wrath. We were the objects of God's wrath, refers to those who deserve God's punishment. That's what he's saying here. You and I deserve God's punishment. That's the reality of who you are before Christ. Now, that was your condition 
before you became a believer. Does everybody understand that? Now, those influences still exist right now, and you have to fight against those, right? Okay. But that's who you were before you became a believer. Everything was bent against you. You were going to do wrong. The only way to do right is for you to what? Change. Who changes you? Jesus. Through what? Salvation. Do you understand? So here's what he's going to talk about. The love of God. So here's what he says. Paul expresses, look with me at verse 4 to 7. Let's read these together. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All right, so we're talking about the love of God. So here's what he wants. He expresses that God is rich in mercy because of his great love that he loved us with. God is rich in mercy to you and I even before we became a believer, because why? He loved us. Do you realize God loves you? God loves everybody else in this world. Isn't that what John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. So in his richness, his mercy, it comes out of the fact that he loved us. Okay? He loved us. He loved us with this great love when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So you think about before you became a believer. He loved you. When you were unlovable, he loved you. Okay, stop for a moment. That should be a freeing thing here. Because some of the things that we wrestle with now as a believer, this is how the enemy attacks us. He attacks us not just with temptation, he attacks us with falsehoods that sometimes we entertain and cripple ourselves with. We think now, God doesn't love me anymore because I messed up over here. Really? Is that the truth or a lie? A lie, why? Because before you got saved... He loved you while you were in what? Trespasses. and You were dead in your trespasses and sins. He loved you then. Do you think he's not going to love you now because you mess up now? Did you see what I'm saying? That, that's the reality of the goodness of the heart of God towards us. So because of his love, he made us alive with Christ because we were saved by grace. It's because of his love. Do you understand? So everybody recognizes that. It's because of his love you were saved by grace. Now we would all agree with that, right? You can't do anything for your salvation, right? You can't. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. Okay? Verse 5. For if we had been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here it is. God raised believers up and seated them in heavenly places. All right, so let me ask you a question. How much authority do you have right now? How much authority do you have? Right now in our culture, Clearfield County, are you getting phone calls from the, from the uh, county commissioner saying, hey, what, I get them all, hey, George, what's your opinion on this? No, they don't call me. Do they call you? Does your local senator or representative call you? Are, are you getting a phone call from, from the, e, the UN? Hey, how do we handle this situation in the Ukraine? I mean, do you have that kind of authority? No, we don't have any authority, right? Do you have authority at your workplace? You might, but then again, you're in a line. Somebody's got authority over you, right? Paul's telling you here that when you got saved, he made you alive. He seated you in heavenly places with Christ. Remember now, we just talked about this in chapter 1. When Jesus was raised up, he was seated where? In heavenly places. On the right hand of God, which is a place of power and authority. You, my friends, were seated with him. Therefore, you now have been what? Being seated in heavenly places reflects that believers share in Christ's authority and position now. Now, people may not recognize it, but you're special. You have authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, we're not experiencing that completely now, but we know later when we go to be with Jesus, we're told we're going to what? Rule with him. Do you understand? So you're someone special to God. Okay? You're not just a slave or a servant. Okay? Now, the reason God did this is, is for believers so that he can show the riches of his grace towards us. This is why he did it. He did it so that he could show the riches of his grace to you. To you. You who just had this week where you did something stupid. Or this year where you're, you're carrying the shame of something. He did it for you so that he could show grace to you. The richest, the never-ending greatness of his grace to you. He did it for you. Now let's talk about the nature of salvation. Now these are two verses you should know. Verses 8 and 9. Here's what he writes. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, so here's what we're going to see. Believers have been saved by God's grace through their faith. Through your faith. Now the word there is faith, not belief. And I've told you before, there's a difference. When I go to the doctor, 
So I, got, I was just looking at my calendar and my next appointment with my family doctor for my next check is in January. So when I go to the doctor and drive over to Dubois and go to the medical arts building, and I'm sitting there, I'm looking on the wall, I'm looking at all of these degrees or certifications and whatever, and, and I'm, I'm recognizing that I, I, I believe he's a doctor, right? Now, when I go in there and sit down and he's checking things and looking at my ears and ah, you know, and all this stuff, and, and, and he says, you know what, George, you got to do this, this, and this. It's got to move beyond that I believe he's a doctor. I have, I have to have what? Faith, right, that's right, Sam, faith that he's a doctor. So it's not just simply that I believe. There's a lot of people who believe Jesus is the Son of God. That didn't change nothing in their life. The demons believe and tremble, you know what I'm saying, is what James says. They're not saved, they're going to hell. But it's faith. Faith, faith that saves you, okay? So believers have been saved by God's grace, through their faith. Salvation is not from their own efforts, but rather salvation is a gift of God. It has nothing to do with you and I. Everybody agree with that? Nothing to do with you and I. It's a gift. Salvation is not the results of anything that we can do ourselves. Not anything. No one can boast of their efforts since salvation is a gift of God. No one can say they did it. Okay? No one can say they did it. It's about faith. Trusting in who, folks? Jesus. Holding on to Jesus. Okay? All right, so let's go on. Paul, verse 10. Great verse here. Look with me. Here's what he writes. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, so here it is. God points out that believers are God's workmanship, or we could translate it this way, or work of art. You're a work of art. I mean, the word he uses there can be translated not just workmanship, but work of art. So some of you guys like to do stuff with your hands. Okay, so Danny, you're building this cabin, right? And, you're, and I, I can tell from Facebook, you aren't just posting it because you think it's ugly. You're really, you're, you really are taking pride in the project you're doing, right? It's your what? Workmanship. Another way of saying it is, it's your work of art, right? You and I are God's workmanship. You are his work of art. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's saying here. So because of salvation, you are his work of art. Here's what else he says. Believers were created in Christ Jesus for good works. He saved you. You are his work of art so that what? He can accomplish something through your life, whatever that might be. Okay, whatever that might be. In fact, he prepared those good works. He prepared what you're supposed to do with your life for him beforehand so that we should walk in them. And I don't, he doesn't call me this week, this is what folks are going to be doing this week in your church, George. This is what I want them to do. I don't get that call because I don't know. I don't even know what it is in my own life that I'm supposed to accomplish. But he prepared it, what? 
beforehand. Isn't that awesome? Okay. So again, Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Now this next verse is for you and I when we think we've blown it. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his plan. So hey, God's prep, what he wants you to do includes your screw ups. He knew you were going to screw up. He figured that in the plan. Because you're his what? Work of art. Okay? Next week, we're going to talk about something else that he did that was great. And that was that he put you in a new community. A new community. And what does that mean? So we're going to go for verse 11 the next time.